somebody just has a word. Uh, and if you have a word, if you had to have a scripture of anything that God has dealt with you on that week, and uh, before we pray, we'll give time for that. And also time for the gifts of the Spirit to move in whatever way possible. And if they don't move, well, then we'll all come together and we'll pray until we have prayed. All right? There is such a thing as just praying, and there is such a thing as praying until we have prayed. Uh, exhausting ourselves in the Lord. And I will guarantee you, if you will do this, it will move out a lot of questions in our life and it will move out a lot of animosity from our life and a lot of bitterness and all these things that humanity will just hold. We just do our best, but it takes something special like this to clear the atmosphere and to clear the air. And it'll do it. All right? We've seen the results of it. It'll do it if we let it. So beginning this next Tuesday. Is there a better time for anybody? 7 or 7.30? I don't want to cut anybody out. 7.30? 7 o'clock? Is there any disagreement to that? All right. Tuesdays are bad for me, but I'm, I've got some every Tuesday. But I'm Sometimes I'm busy from 6 to 8, sometimes it's 8 to 10. I started to say, is there any difference between 7 or 7.30 as far as you're concerned? No. All right. 7 o'clock it is then. And like I said, make every effort. Put forth the effort and God will honor us with that. These are old scriptures, very familiar and sometimes too familiar. So don't go to sleep on me till we get into it, all right? Beginning at the 10th verse, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation to the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the word and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a precious commodity in our day and hour. And Father, we realize it was written for us. It was preserved for us. It was made available that we just might read it and understand it. And in it, if so obeyed, Father, we would find the answer to a lot of calamity and a lot of problems in our life and a lot of misunderstandings. So, Father, breathe upon your word tonight. Bring it out from the pages of this book and make it become alive in our spirit tonight. Father, we stand before you as an unworthy servant. Just anoint us. Father, and speak through us with your spirit and, Father, light upon the individuals that's in the congregation. Might their mind be enlightened 
Might they desire to learn of you, Father. Might they desire to know how to walk in the pathway of your holiness and righteousness. And we give you honor and praise in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. My, you also scattered out. Did everybody take a bath tonight before you came? I mean, you're just so separated that I didn't know whether somebody had a body odor or not. You didn't want to sit close to them. The Apostle Paul, after dealing with the believer's position in grace, you ought to read Ephesians. And then you ought to study it. There's some great things inside there for any believer. It doesn't take it doesn't take a minister to extract some things in there, and you ought to read it. You ought to become Bible conscious. I mean, it ought 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 to thrill you to be able to pick up the word and look in it and say, Lord, I have a problem. What's the answer to it? And then pick up the Bible and read it. Heard a lot of people say, Well, after reading it, I don't understand it. Well, that's fine. If you read it. You don't understand it and it's in your heart, ask God to reveal it to you. And a lot of times if we come wanting to do that, you'll find that one of the ministers, one way or the other, will deal with the subject that you've been wrestling with. So Paul is dealing with the believer's position in grace, talking about the Gentile's position at coming into the body of Christ by nature, talking about the Jew and Gentile, one body of Christ, talking about the church temple for the habitation of God through the Spirit, talks about the mystery of the church, unravel the purpose of the ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, talks about the inner life of a spirit-filled Christian, talks about the warfare of the spirit-filled believers. We'll notice beginning at verse 10, finally, he gets ready to end this wonderful book. And he just simply ends it this way. Finally, my brethren, knowing what's ahead for them and knowing that the struggles is going to be in their life, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want you to notice that word, as small as it is, so easily overlooked. It did not say you was born with the armor on. And a lot of us get that idea. We come into the house of God. We're forgiven of our sins. And all right, so we received the Holy Ghost. We've got the idea that when we're born, the, the armor comes with it. But it is just made available for us. It's left up to us to put it on. You see, God never forces his will upon us in any way. And Paul is letting us know that. Through this scripture, as he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that word wiles from the Greek is methodia, which means the deceit or the erroneous teachings of the devil. You see, Paul knew that the Ephesians was a people that believed in God. He was aware that they had sold their life out to God. And he was also aware that the only way that the devil could get into their life is to put erroneous things and mix it with truth. And so he's saying here, now you be strong in the Lord 
And you rely upon the power of his might, not your own. Don't ever believe that we can stand in the power of our own might. And if we're going to be strong, it has to be in the Lord. And then he says, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or against erroneous teachings and things that the devil brings into our spirit. And that's through the strength of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against something far worse than that, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And notice again, verse 13, any time within a, a few times of verses that something is repeated, that means an urgency there. And he says that one more time, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In other words, there it is. It is made available. You take it and put it on. Now, if you don't put it on, God is not going to put it on for you. He makes it available. He says it's there. If you want to be overcomers, if you want to be victorious, if you want to be conquerors over the flesh, then you have to have something that resists the powers of the enemy. And your human flesh cannot, never will do that. Never has and never will. So Paul says there has been made available for us in this battle that we're in, armor. There has never been a better equipped army than the army of God. Now, we have just fought the Gulf War with some of the greatest technical devices that man has ever known, whereby a man can uh, stand safely someplace and fire a missile and hit his target. But even that pales in the sunlight of God's glorious uh, armor that he has for his children. The biggest thing wrong, I think, is most of us really do not understand that every day we're in a fight. We feel like that sometimes we can just slough off a little bit, maybe get in a rocking chair a little bit, and this is where the evil tides of the enemy comes. It's when we're with feet thrown back in restful slumber, powers of the enemy is coming in, and he knows he's in a battle. We're the ones that don't know that we're in a battle. All right? So Paul is simply saying, now, let's be aware of the armor, and let's realize that laying there where it is, just because it's provided, doesn't do you any good. You have to put it on. And so twice he says, take unto you and put on the whole armor of God. Now, it's of very little value to put on part of that. Sometimes we feel like the whole armor is very cumbersome. And so we'll just put this part of it on and that part of it on. And he says there's going to be a great onslaught and attack. There's always an attack. There's always uh, little fiery darts. But Paul is pointing out to the Ephesians, and I think he's talking probably more to you and I in this day and hour, that there's coming a time when we're going to have to have all of these things to be able to stand, and even after doing all we can do to stand, he says, now comes the deal. Stand, therefore. And then he begins to name what it takes to be able to stand. Now, it would be the height of folly for us 
to believe in any way that we're going to be able to stand, especially as the days increase in darkness, without the armor of God. Paul simply almost demands that we take it on and that after we've done everything we can to stand, the only way we're going to stand is have on the armor of God, the full armor of God. And then he tells us what it is. Now, when you read commentaries, uh, many of them give different versions and views of what the armor is like. And many of them go back to the Babylonian type armor and they describe that as what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And others uh, take on the Assyrians and say, Assyrians and say, this was the armor that Paul was talking about. And some even go as far as the Hebrews and going back there and saying, this is the armor that Paul is describing. But I am prone to believe that the Apostle Paul at this time was imprisoned in Rome and he certainly was aware of the battle stations and what it took for the Roman soldier to go out into battle. So actually he was describing in that day what was the armor of the Romans. And he was likening the armor of God to that. We're going to go through that. And he says, first off, you have to have your loins girt about with truth. Now loins, of course, is always known as the reproductive system and parts of re reproducing. And what Paul is saying is uh, reproduce truth. How many of you know that? Reproduce truth. Don't reproduce error. Reproduce truth. And God, Jesus Christ is truth. And so he says, put on the girdle of truth. And very important to the soldiers when they went into battle. And this is what the girdle did. He would pick up the lower edges of the robe and bind it with his girdle around his waist. And in this way, he would be free for rapid movement when he was engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And make no mistake, saints, we are engaged a lot of times in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. I mean, he almost exerts himself in human instrumentality and attacks our lives. And so Paul was saying here, in a sense, you need a girdle, something that protects the reproductive parts of you, and something where you can make yourself free to fight that battle. And without a girdle, his long robe would trip him, and he would be an easy mark for the adversary. And without truth, this is what Paul is saying, without the truth, we're going to be an easy mark for the enemy. That's why it's important for us to have the truth of God. That's why it's important for us to read the Word of God, understand the Word of God, listen to the explanations of the Word of God, and understand that when we come into the house of God, it's not to take a seat. And it's not just to be seen or, or, or be seen. It is so we can learn concerning the fiery darts of the enemy. It's so we can understand what, we're, what is going to happen and what's going on around about us. So Paul says truth is necessary. You need to understand the difference between error and truth. You need to understand that truth will set us free. Paul had this in mind when he wrote in Hebrews, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Freedom of, freedom of movement is necessary in battle as well as in running a race. 
Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In other words, if there's truth in our being, if there's truth in our spirit, then we can hand-to-hand combat with the enemy any time. I know because we know the Word of God. And he attacks us sometimes with the Word of God and he uh, quotes it erroneously. And so if we don't know what truth is, then we slip because we haven't girded ourselves with the truth of God and we slip and we're an easy mark for him and he punctures us. Sometimes I've watched him literally spiritually kill individuals because they was not settled in foundational truth of Almighty God. They wasn't good with hand-to-hand combat. Oh, sure, a lot of times when we come to the house of God and we're gathered together here, we're a body of Christ and we're in unity. Sometimes we're, uh, we're warring a warfare and we're fighting a fight. But we're doing it actually as a body. But the devil likes to get us one-on-one. He likes to separate us and put one over here and another over here. And then he likes to attack us that way. And without the girdle of truth, then we're going to be tripped up. And when we're tripped up, we're an easy prey for him. And he can wound us, mortally wound us, kill us. Because we don't know the truth. First of all, Paul said, truth is important. Truth is important. The first part of the armor that Paul says is get truth. Can I say that again? Get truth. Get it inside of you. Understand the purity of it. And let the power of God demonstrate that in your life. Get some truth in your being. Know what it's like. And know this, that everybody uh, that says, Lord, Lord, don't know the truth. Everybody that, uh, that say, picks a Bible, up a Bible and uh, says they're a minister don't know truth. The truth is in the Word of God. And if you can't minister it without the inspiration of God and it can be disproven, then it's not truth. So the Bible says and Paul says to us as much as to the Ephesians, first off, take it, put it on. It's necessary. You see, there's not much use. Now he puts it in the way that it ought to be put on. The importance of the order here is necessary. And so first off, get truth in your spirit. To put on the rest of the armor without truth is the height of folly. And we need to understand that. So let's search for truth, saints. Can you wave at me and say, I want to search for truth? I want to know what truth is. I want to understand what it is. And friends, listen, if we'll search God, we'll get on our knees. He'll let us understand what's truth and what's error. And then he goes on. Uh, to say, stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. This is made of solid metal. It is hinged in two parts so it could be tied to a person for protection of both front and back. And our righteousness could not do that. We are not protected by the power, from the powers of the enemy by our own self-righteousness. We get into a lot of problems and a lot of trouble uh, when we attempt to be protected by that. But we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. This protects the heart. This protects the emotional part that feels. 
This protects that part that loves, that understands, that reaches out. This protects that to keep it from being taken away from us, especially in the dark days and hours that the church was going to go through, that the Ephesian church was going to go through, that you and I are going through, that community chapel is going through, that other churches is going through. What we need is the righteousness of Christ Jesus that embraces the love of God in our spirit and in our life and casting away all others and saying God fill me with your righteousness help me to understand it hey look saints let's don't look cross-eyed at one another and judge one another as to righteousness the righteousness is of God and if God clothes somebody with his righteousness I have no right or reason to disavow that all right I may not understand it I don't understand how God could come down into a wicked uh, world and sinners that had disgraced him in his name and give his only begotten son uh, and give us life and shed his life's blood and cleanse us by his blood and shed his glory with us. I don't understand that. But he did anyway. And he had covered every last one of us. He didn't ask me whether he could save you or not. And he didn't ask you whether he could save me or not. He didn't ask you whether he could call me to minister or not. All he said, and Paul is saying the same thing, you need on the breastplate of righteousness. You need something to protect the truth. You need something that would protect the emotional parts of love in your life. You see, truth and love is the most vital parts of our life. All right? And next he says, having your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Now, if you remember, there are times, I think Joshua was one time when it was said that Joshua was praying. And an angel appeared in the form of the captain of the Lord of hosts. And Joshua says, are you for us or are you against us? That angel says, take off your shoes because this is holy ground that we're standing on. And Joshua did that because he was standing on holy ground of the Lord. Might behoove some of us to spiritually speaking anyway, take off our shoes when we enter into the presence of Almighty God. But understand that there comes a time when you put shoes back on. You are not to be barefoot Christians when you go into battle and you're fighting a battle. When you leave here, this is a good time to spiritually uh, take off your spiritual shoes and set back in the places of the holiness of Almighty God. Is this place holy? It was dedicated to God. It was made holy whether we want to recognize it or not. Sometimes we defile the holiness of God. He just simply says, now you've got to get ready for battle. And you don't go into battle barefoot. And you don't go into battle with sandals on. Now most of the time, uh, they took all, they went in their lightweight sandals. But when it was coming time to go into battle, they took off their lightweight sandals and put on a pair of heavy, thick-soled, hobnailed shoes. There has to be a solid foundation. If somebody can cripple us into our feet, we're not a very good soldier. If something happens, that something happens to one of our 
feet or legs, we are not fit for the battle. And if we must go into battle barefoot or with just sandals on, uh, the Apostle Paul knew that. He knew that we was asking for trouble. And they put on these and that gives them firm and sure footing so that when he meets the enemy in battle, he's not going to slip. And that's the way it is with us. Our feet shod with the preparations of the gospel so that we will not slip. When the powers of the enemy come in, when it separates us and it's asking one-on-one -on -one battle, if we've got a good solid foundation under our feet and our feet shod with the preparations of the gospel to answer any question that anybody asks of us, there is no danger when the devil comes and says, isn't this so? Notice what he did to Jesus. Notice what he talked to him about. And Jesus had the answer for him because he was shod with the preparations of the gospel. And he goes on to say, and above all. Now, I found something very interesting in that. It doesn't say that is the most important. In the original it says to cover all. And to cover all. Now this was not a small gladiator shield. Paul refers to the what they went the Roman soldiers went into battle with, which was the door shield. Because of its size, it was 30 inches wide, 48 inches high, was large enough for a soldier to crouch behind. And many times the Roman front line would advance with shields overlapping, which formed a solid wall behind which a whole line of soldiers could hide. Faith will do the same thing for you and I today. Now, I think in this, the Apostle Paul was talking about the shield of faith which would bring unity into lives and into hearts. If we could simply take the shield of faith and put those shields all together and advance under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of you, and take those things, we can advance upon the enemy's territory. But as important, and many of you have heard the rest of this, at least at times, as important as the girdle, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, let's get this, the helmet of salvation. Let's find that one. That's made of solid metal to protect the soldier from the huge broadsword that was used. And this is for protection of our thought life. That would answer a lot of problems, and we'll get into that maybe some other time in another message. But a lot of things destroy lives and destroy us because of our thought life, yes. because of our imaginations. The Bible says casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself before God. So there is a thought life to protect. In other words, our mind has to be protected by the helmet of salvation. Salvation will simply protect our minds. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about a reality. And if you call upon the Lord when you've got troubles, ever have mental problems, ever have a time when the enemy just comes in and he plants thoughts in your life, and you take them as realities. And you react on them as realities, as if they're real. And you never stop to think, who put that in there anyway? You see, that's an impure thought. And you know God is not responsible for an impure thought. That's right. 
So immediately, if we've got the helmet of salvation on, we've got something that protects. Let the enemy come with the greatest sword he's got and let him bring it down upon us. But we have a protecting force that protects our thought life. The only thing is we have to put it on. We wouldn't be near as apt to think a lot of things and allow our thoughts to run wild and uh, destroy us sometimes as well as other individuals if we were aware that somebody else can introduce thoughts into us. Had people to say, oh, that's not possible. If you're a Christian, the devil can't do that. But I say, that's a bunch of fooling. All you've got to do is read the Bible and make you understand. That's why Paul said you need the helmet of salvation. Because he can introduce thoughts to you. What do you think he did to Eve? He introduced the thought. There's nothing he could have done with her other than he challenged the word of God and introduced erroneous thought. All down to the Bible. You see where he just simply introduces thoughts and people react on them as if perhaps they're from God. We need to understand that God is not the author of impure, impure thoughts. All right? When we get one that's impure, when we get one that's erroneous, when we get one that puts down rather than builds up, you have to question, who put that in my mind? Who is responsible for this? Rather than to react on that. You see, it is a battle. It is a battle to keep a pure mind. It is a fight to keep our mind pure from all the association of the powers of the enemy. We've got enough power, uh, enough uh, challenge to keep old human Adam nature under control, much less the added force of the powers of the enemy that's always on us. And Paul says you're not going to be able to stand without this armor to go into battle with. That's why you've got a lot of Christians laying on the battlefield, wounded or dead. It's because they supposed that they could fight a battle without these ingredients. Whole armor of God. Girding our loins with truth. Having on the blessed prate of righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation to the gospel. Overall taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, in spite of all the other armor, in spite of how covered and protected we, we were in that, the, some of the adversaries of the Romans had little darts that could penetrate where we wasn't covered. And Paul is saying, now listen, in spite of all of that, to cover everything, to be sure that there's no place where the smallest fire dart of the enemy can come in and prick or puncture you and cause diversions and divisions in you, you need to understand that you need the, you need the shield of faith. That is overall protection. That keeps these little darts. That keeps the little foxes out that spoil the vines. How many of you know that it's not the big things that causes problems? All of us recognize the big things. I mean, if the devil comes in and, and shouts boo at us and we know it's him, but it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's those little penetrating things that comes in.
and introduces themselves as if they have a right to be there. And we are so silly that we just think that they need to be there, and so we just allow them to stay there. But Paul says, if you're going to stand, and I want you to stand, otherwise now I wouldn't be wasting my time. I may be anyway, but at least I'll stand before God and say, but God, I, I told them they couldn't fight without an armor. I told them that they had to have these things on, and I've did this time and time again, and I've still watched individuals, good individuals, good individuals, Christians, never doubted that they was born again, never doubted that in the least, but their failure was that they could see no need of putting on the provisions that Christ had provided from them to keep them a good Christian life and keep them from falling. Right. Isn't that a necessity in our day is to keep from falling? The Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. A lot of people are going to be fallen, already are, but still have the mistaken idea that they're standing. You can't fight the battle. Paul tells us that. He tries to reach our spirit, lets us know that we need a helmet of salvation, that our thought and life needs to be protected, all of these things. And then he says, what you need, again, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In other words... You can't get away from truth. You can't get away from faith. You can't get away from the word. It is all necessary. Now I'm going to say again, go where they hoop, dance, and shout all you want to. Go where the manifestations of the Spirit is every night. Go where they speak in tongues, interpret. Go where everything is happening all you want to. But unless you've got a good, solid foundation and armor of God on, you're not going to make it. You'll not shout your way into the kingdom of God. You will fight your way into the kingdom of God. You won't speak in tongues your way in either. You won't dance your way in either. You'll march your way in. Fighting every step of the way with the armor that God has provided for you and laid out and said, put it on. Woo, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I felt something move down inside of me. Said, my God, establish me in this thing. Make me understand that we're not in a playground. My God, we want to play church. We kind of like a ball game. We want to choose upside and see who can hit the hardest. And we're in this thing for keeps. Because we're going to be judged one of these times with what we've done, with what we've had. I'm going to be responsible if I don't share with you the clear, unadulterated truth of God. But in spite of all of these things that we've talked about, every one of them that we have mentioned has been defensive weapons. With all of this, you have been able to do nothing but defend yourself. Now, you can't win a battle by just fighting defensively. And it seems to me like that that's just about where the devil has got the church tonight. As weak defensively as we really are, we seem to be fighting for every piece of ground that we've got, everything we've ever gained, 
through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, every place we've ever advanced, we have backed down trying to defend it. And then we back down someplace else and set up our battle line and He comes against us and we try to defend that. And even with the whole armor, we spend our time defending the territory that we have. I don't know about you, but I am feeling in the Spirit that it's just about time that we launched an offensive. It's just about time that we quit trying to defend. Get on the armor of God. Use it. But friend, let's don't try the retreating battle. Let's put this armor on and get ready to engage the enemy on his territory, not on ours. You see, the church has been fighting on its own territory for years and losing ground. But there's a territory out there that we have never had any time captured. There's individual lives out there that's never been touched by the divinity of God. You know what irritates me? As we spend our time upon old moss-backed individuals that have refused the word of God time and time again, and yet we're always on their doorstep trying some way or somehow to get them into the house of God when there's individuals out there that's never heard, never been touched by divinity, and never been witnessed to. That's where the attack is out there. I'm not saying don't pray for them, but I'm saying leave them alone. Because there's a world out here that's never known what it's like to have somebody come to their doorstep and say, we care about you. We want to understand your situation. We want to offer you something. At least give them one chance. At least give them one chance. At least let them know that someplace, somewhere, there's somebody that cares. But I'm going to say again, we park on the doorsteps of those individuals time and time and time again. Waste our time and energy asking over and over and over again. And they've always got some type of excuse if they don't have their manufacture one. And there we are. While we're doing that, we have bypassed individual souls and lives. But seemingly inside or outwardly, they may, they may not outwardly act like it. I've been there. But inside, they're saying, won't somebody help me in this area I'm in? Don't anybody care about me? I know I had a good act. I didn't care. Church wasn't for me. Even being raised in it, I had a good act. I don't want you to pray for me. And all the same time inside, I knew I was bound. I knew there wasn't any hope for me at all. I knew I needed somebody to release me from this dark pit that I was in. And finally, somebody understood. And somebody came to the rescue of this old boy out there that everybody else had given up on. But this sword of the Spirit... The only offensive weapon out of them all. And that is the Word of God. If you're going to attack, you need the Word. That says the Word is sharper than a two-edged sword. I mean, it'll cut asunder. It'll prick a heart or cut the individual off. 
One of the two. You see, God's word don't return into him void. It'll do something to our heart. It'll callous it. It'll harden it. Or it'll soften it. One of the two. You don't just come and hear the word and go stop free. It's doing something to you tonight. It's getting down inside of you tonight. What you do with that is dependent upon whether your heart is hardened or whether it's softened. Because yes. each time the Word of God drips down on it and you refuse it, it becomes that much harder until finally the conscience is seared with a hot iron. And it doesn't make any difference whether it's truth or error. It doesn't matter to you. Your life has already been settled. Your heart has already been hardened and you could care less what God has to say. But there is an offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. And this weapon is not of human origin. We've got a lot of books, got a lot of commentaries, we've got a lot of things in our world, but the Word of God is not of human origin. This sword that we have was not forged upon a human anvil. This sword has not been tempered by human fires. What we have was born in the heavens. Hallelujah. What we have hold of is spirit and life. And it will pierce asunder even to the dividing of the mar and the joints. Man did not give us this. And man can't take it away. Oh, he may take your Bible. But what you have inside of you, which is the Word of God, which is the Holy Ghost, he cannot take that away from you. You can give it to him. But he can't take it away from you. You see, this weapon is divine origin. What we have when we open that Bible was written as holy men of old was moved on by the Holy Ghost. He took his pen in hand and decided he didn't want to write what he thought. That's why we've got magazines and Bibles. I read some of them and it wants to make me regurgitate. Because it is so far from the truth of God and you, they take pen in hand and write what they think. And what we have here, what we have dedicated to us, what we have preserved to us today, was not written under the inspiration of the human mind. It was written as these holy men of old waited for the moving of the Holy Ghost and they took pen in hand and wrote the holy writ of God and handed it down to us and said, there it is. Live by it. Oh, live by it. It's not just put there to read in disregard. It's there for life and that more abundantly. You see, it's provided to give God's children adequate offensive thrust against our enemy. And what we have here, and I liked it when they sang that song. I thought, God, this is right on. What we have is something that stood the test of time. Hallelujah. You ought to have seen where it's been. (laughs) Praise God. You ought to have saw the squalor it's been in. You ought to saw the jailhouses it was taken in. You ought to saw the dead bodies had that rope with their own blood and handed it down to us. Friend, this word has been through the test of time. Amen. You see, it's been through the fire and the fire couldn't burn it. Read the heroes of faith. Pick up the Vox's book of martyrs and you'll understand the truth of the sword of the Spirit and what a divine weapon that we have in our hand. 
It's been through the flood of man's idiocracies, idiosyncrasies, traditions, and hasn't been destroyed. I like that. You have something, saints of God, listen to me. You have something laying on your table or in your hand tonight. Friend that has endured the test of time and everything else and it's a divine origin and you have it in your hand and God said it's there. Get into it and read it and live by it. There was an about atheist called Voltaire. He stood up in all his pride one time and I'm, he said, I'm going to see this elect lady which was the church. I'm going to see her and her word destroyed. That man's dead, but this word still lives on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, it's not going to be destroyed. God will find some place to plant it in the hearts. All you've got to do is look at China, which has been under oppression. They took Bibles away, but before they did, God planted in a heart. And it's still alive there. Look at Russia. They thought it was all atheists, but they found individuals. Though they could not have a Bible, it was implanted within their heart by some minister that knew that they would need the Word of God. And they heard it. And it was a sword in their hands. Oh, yes. It's been mishandled. Am I boring you? No. No. No, yet. All right. You hold up your hand when I am, okay? You all right? It's been misinterpreted. It's been misunderstood. But as a best man can do with it, it remains intact. And it remains true. Doesn't make any difference what man says. The Word of God still remains true. We need no other weapon. I've heard ministers say, let's pray that God would send us what we need to fight this battle. Don't waste your prayer. He already has. He's already given you the, the, the defensive weapons and He's placed within your hand the divine Word of God. Or I realize this is a book, but it's also a written Word of God. It stays that way until the Holy Spirit breathes upon it and then it becomes alive. And should they destroy this book, Inside of humanity, God has planted His Word. And it's going to live, saints. It's going to live. You may fall by the wayside. I may fall by the wayside. But somebody, someplace, is going to carry this gospel to the end. Well, glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel inspired tonight. Sit there and look at me like a dummy if you want to. I'm feeling good. All right, I got a hold of something. I know it's a reality. And I know it'll help us if we'll just take part of it and just try our best to say in the morning, Lord, I'm going to face a bad world. I'm going to face some bad things. I need protection. And I need your word. Because I'm not going to just stand there and defend myself. I'm going to exert some authority and use my word. And I'm going to launch an offensive upon those hypocrites that try to destroy me. I'm going to know enough to do that.
Jesus proved this fact. In Matthew, doing his battle with the devil, do you ever wonder why he had to battle that enemy like that? Just to leave us the fact that the word was in reality enough. The devil comes to him, and by the way, he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And after you fast that long, you'd think there'd be some good things happen to you. <laughs> and a lot of times when we fast and pray, we look to see the sunlight, and it's darker than ever. All right? But Jesus had fasted, and then the devil comes and said, If thou, if, that one thing, if he could put some doubt in the mind of Jesus as to who he was, he can destroy him. And the same thing goes for us. If he can put some doubt in our mind that we are the children of God, then he's got us. Or if somebody else can. I've had him to say to me, well, if you were a Christian, well, I don't have to pay any attention to them. I know what I am between me and God. I don't have to answer to them. As long as I'm pure in the Word of God and where I stand. I don't have to prove to them I'm a Christian or not. I don't have to answer to them. I have to answer to God. But if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. <laughs> I'm sure he was hungry. But Jesus reaches back into the only book he had, which was Deuteronomy, the scrolls, and says, It is written. I like the better rendition of that. It stands written. In other words, it can't be changed. It stands written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so he met the devil like that. You would think that would have been enough. Sometimes when we meet the devil with the word of God, we think he's gone, and he's not. He's just preparing another attack, that's all. But he, he came back again, said, Now, take him on a high cliff. There again, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Jesus then quoted, said, It stands written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's not enough for the old boy. He comes back again, and he just looks and appeals to all the, all, all the what would you say, the intellect and the materialism, if there would be any, in Jesus. And he says, Now everything that is out here, is yours. I'm going to give it to you if you just fall down and worship me. It's yours. Jesus simply says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil left him. You see, Jesus didn't argue his case. He didn't beg. He didn't plead. And yet Satan left him. Why? Because of the power of the sword and the spirit, which is the word of God. If you can get God's word into your life, you can meet that devil on any terms. You see, it's indisputable. It doesn't make any difference what. It's indisputable. I'm going to get down here in a minute. Stay with me. It wasn't diplomacy. It wasn't argument. It wasn't debate. It wasn't tact. It wasn't flattery. It wasn't compromise. It was Christ's use of the sword of the Spirit. 
I'd give him the power to put the enemy. You see, we don't have to explain the sword of the Spirit. We don't have to defend it. Or we don't have to demonstrate it. The devil knows what it is. Amen. He knows if you can get that in your spirit. Not just in your hand, but in your spirit. He knows what it is. And he's afraid of it. That's why he liked to keep so many Christians dumb. And that's why he does. Because we don't have any defense. And we don't have any offense. But Jesus persisted in meeting every attack with a thrust of the Word of God. So Satan just left and departed. He didn't stay gone all that time, but he won that battle. It's going to be the same way thing with us. But I think in closing it's time we put on the whole armor of God. Not just to defend ourselves, but to launch an offensive against the powers of darkness. And we cover those that have been taken from us and invade the domain and the darkness of the devil's territory and free those that he holds captive. This can't be done until we become adept to the uses of God's Word. A soldier don't just come in and take a sword in his hand and start fighting. He has to be trained in the usage of anything that he uses. In our modern equipment, he has to be trained in the usage of that. And that's why Bible studies. And that's why messages. And that's why Sunday school. It's because that's the training ground. I can remember when I was in the army. A lot of people thought it was fun. They didn't put any effort in trying to learn how to use their M1 rifle, which at that time is what we had. As far as they were concerned, the training was just something that they just had to go through. They wasn't aware they most probably would be thrust into battle and they never had the slightest idea how to fight. And I said all that to say this, Christians, a lot of us are just like that. We don't know how to use the sword. It's clumsy in our hand. Yes. And that's the reason there's no way that we can launch an offensive out here. That's why God is talking to us, telling us this is a training ground. Let's get ourselves ready. Let's defend ourselves, yes. But let's don't spend all of our time. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 We need to become an expert with the word of God. And this doesn't happen overnight and then too in the part of the army that I was in we had some wise guys that thought they knew more than the trainer and that's the way it is in Christianity 
We've got some wise guys that think they don't they know more than the one that God has put over them to, put, to train them how to use it. So consequently, they don't need to listen because they already know more than they know. You got trouble, haven't you? Ed, when those things happen, you got big trouble. Because there's no preparation. Now, I'm wondering, really, I wasn't, I'm not going to say privileged, because it wasn't a privilege. God was good to me. I didn't go over with my group, but I'm wondering how many died because they didn't listen. And of all my years of ministry, and I look out, I can see and understand. I've watched some die because they didn't listen. And God help me, I don't want to see others, but I know I will. But this is a training ground, saints. Word of God is precious. That's holy. Stand with me. And I don't usually do this, but I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to ask you if you need prayer and some help. There's something turned over in my spirit while I was ministering. And the Lord said, do it, so I'm going to do it. If you need prayer tonight, you've got a problem. If you feel weak in some area, you feel like that the church could pray with you and strengthen you, well, then you just come up and we will anoint you with oil and the church will pray for you. We're not going to ask for any music. I'm just going to make it available. The Lord said, don't belabor the issue. If they want to, they'll be here. If not, we'll close the service. Bow your heads just for a minute.